Good morning, church. How's everybody today? 1045 Rowdy Crowd, you ready to go? Oh, wow, good, all right, good. Well, my name is Pastor Trevor, one of the pastors here at the church, and it's an honor to be with you this morning. If you're here in the room, I'm thankful to be with you. If you're online watching today, thanks for tuning in as well. And it's a very, very special Sunday celebrating all you confirmation students. Half of the confirmation class, the other half was at nine o'clock. And I just want you guys to know how proud we are of you. And I would encourage you, whatever God has done in your heart and your life this semester, don't stop here. This is the beginning of what God is gonna do in your life as you journey along with him, and we promise to be there with you. So I'm excited for today to celebrate with you. Now, we are in a sermon series called Wisdom in the Wilderness. If you were here two weeks ago, you heard from Pastor Daniel Stevanis. He did a great job uh, preaching that first week, talking to us about the fact that all of us, at some point in time in our lives, will find ourselves in a wilderness place, a time of struggle, a time of difficulty, sometimes of our own doing, sometimes of no doing of our own, but someone else has placed us there, and sometimes because God has led us there to teach us something new. But there's a commonality between all three. It doesn't matter why you're there, there's wisdom there to be had so that we could be prepared for what's to come in the future. Last week, Pastor Chad did a great job pulling back the curtain behind the tempter. In verse two, we are introduced to Satan as he's tempting Jesus, and he showed us all the different tactics that Satan uses and the way that we can recognize him so that we can avoid that temptation to live the full life of God that he has for us. And so today, we're gonna continue this sermon series. Now, Stal, two weeks ago, he told a story about a bear in the wilderness, if I remember the, the bear, and I thought to myself, I can't let Stal take all the glory for this. I had my own bear encounter that I'm gonna tell you about this morning. So, my, uh, my time here at the church, as I served originally with middle school ministry and then high school ministries, it's my heart. I love student ministry. And my favorite thing to do was always take students into the woods. We took trips all year long. Many students who are in here right now, actually some adults, that'll date me, um, have gone backpacking with me in different places, North Carolina, South Carolina, different places. And um, every time I've gone on a trip, We've had an amazing experience because God does something when we're out of our routine, out of our element, has access to a heart that he just simply doesn't have on a Wednesday night during programming. It's much, much easier to get a student to engage with God when you're, when you're out in the wilderness. So I've loved doing it. Now, we took a trip a couple of years ago, right before COVID, for some high school students, and I had a question from one of the parents. They said, hey, listen, it's early in the season. We just wanted to know, like, are you prepared for any bears that you might come across? And I said very confidently, ma'am, I've been in the woods many, many times with students, I've never even seen an animal. Students are too annoying. They're too loud. Like, we'll, we'll never see an animal, let alone a bear. It just won't happen. We'll be, we'll be fine. So sure enough, we load up in the vehicles. We drive to North Carolina, a great place called Panthertown Valley. We get out. We hike in three miles into the back country. We have found this great spot. We have dinner. We set up camp. Uh, the sun goes down. We're even drinking coffee with my outdoor coffee press around the fire. It was perfect. And so we all decided to go to bed. Tents are set up. Students are in tents. Most of us are in hammocks hanging around the, uh, the fire. So we all go to sleep. Well, about one in the morning, I wake up with this bad sense, like something's wrong here. The problem is it was very chilly, so I was zipped up in a mummy bag all the way to my chin, and I was in a hammock. So getting out of that was a little bit tricky, but I finally grabbed my headlamp, and I turned it on, and I hung outside the hammock, and I looked behind me, and sure enough, about 20 yards from me, right in the middle of our camp, is this black bear standing next to one of our students like he's a human burrito or something. And I, I didn't know what to do, and so I, the only thing I could think to do is go, Hey, and as soon as I did it, the bear like stood straight up and then he ran right out of camp and crashed around the outside. Now it took me five minutes to get out of my hammock and my sleeping bag because my adrenaline was going so bad and I was trying to get unzipped, got the other leader up. We went and stoked the fire and long story short, all night long, one by one, students would wake up, come around the fire with us, but we could hear the bear who had pulled down our bear bags about 60 yards away, eat all of our food that we brought into the woods with us. 
He's just chomping away. We came around the corner with flashlights. He'd look up at us, but he would not move, and he'd just keep eating away. Well, the next morning at 6 a.m., finally he left, and so we, we got up and we wandered out there, and sure enough, everything had been destroyed. Nothing there but shredded bags, a little bit of food here and there, like random hygiene products, toothpaste and stuff scattered everywhere, and then, of course, like a bunch of candy wrappers in what you might call bear scat, you know what I'm talking about. So all there. He'd been there for five hours. So what we had to do is we had to hike out. We went right to a Chinese buffet and got some good food and went to one other place to camp for the night. There's experiences that sometimes you have when you're in the woods. There's something that can happen that can take you from being like, well, we're in the woods having a great time to now we're like in the wild, the wilderness. And a bear in your camp is that very kind of thing that will take you from this place to that place. We're not having fun anymore. Now it's survival. This is not the woods. This is the wild. Now, the story we've been looking at in Matthew chapter 4 finds Jesus in the wilderness. He finds himself in this wild place. And honestly, this story in Matthew chapter 4 is just one story of many stories throughout the scriptures where the writers are talking about the people of God who find themselves in wilderness places. And every one of these writings are meant to show us something about God and actually something about ourselves, all with a backdrop of mountains and rivers and valleys and predators and desert. It's meant to teach us something about God and something about ourselves. And each one of the stories throughout the scripture is characterized by wild and waste. It's not just the woods, this is the wilderness. It's a place that strips you of all of your comforts and all of your self-sufficiency. The Israelite people in the Old Testament, they disobey God, they, they grumble and they complain, and so they endure warring tribes, snake bites, and lack of water and other things in the Old Testament. David hides out in caves for years, running for his life from Saul. Elijah nearly starves to death near the, the brook of Kareth until God provides for him. John the Baptist lived off of honey and locusts, wore camel hair coats, and each story shares the same essence. It's survival, it's struggle, and it's testing. But each one of these stories teach us something about wild places. That we find ourselves stripped of all comforts, stripped of all self-sufficiency, the only thing we can do is rely upon God. That's the only thing that we can do. So Matthew chapter four, Jesus is led into the wilderness, the Bible says. We've heard about it for a couple weeks now. And he's tested by the spirit for 40 days, tested by the evil one as he's in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. There's an important distinction that's taking place here. The author, when they write about Jesus being in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights, any Jewish reader or listener would have known exactly what they were talking about. This relates back to something else. Another people of God who were in the wilderness, but they were there for 40 years. So as Jesus goes into the wilderness, he is literally replaying, he's reliving out all the Israelite people did in the Old Testament as they tried to follow God and as they grumbled and complained and disobeyed. Here's the problem. Jesus is led there and he has to be victorious in Matthew chapter four. And here's why. Because the people of God had failed in the Old Testament. They did not remain obedient. They continued to stay in the wilderness. But Jesus has to redeem this by being victorious right here. So in Matthew chapter four, verse two through three, here's what the Bible says as Jesus is in the wilderness. It says, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was what? No, duh. Jesus has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he is hungry. Then it says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. 
So Jesus has taken part in this Jewish practice of, of fasting. He's denied himself food for over a month now. You could definitely say Jesus was probably a little bit hangry. He was ready for something to eat. I mean, some of us, we struggle between like breakfast and lunch before we turn into an, an absolute animal. And Jesus has been 40 days without any kind of food like this. Maybe many of you in the room, because we're in this Lenten season, you can relate a little bit to this. I mean, in this Lenten season, a lot of us have decided to deny ourselves certain things in preparation for embracing fully the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so even now, you like know exactly how many days it is till you can have a cup of coffee, until you can finally get a bite of chocolate, until you can watch Netflix, whatever. The things that you have denied yourself of as a way of coming alive to the real, true desires that we have that go beyond these simple things. What Jesus is doing here is he is taking this spiritual practice. He's denying himself food, and he finds himself in the wilderness repeating what the Jewish people did, but he's gotta be victorious. You see, the longest trip we ever did for students when I was helping lead backpacking trips was five days. So for five days, we took 12 middle school students in the woods. So everyone in the room sounds like a nightmare, but I loved it. Took 12 students into the woods at a place called Fontana Dam up in Tennessee. So for five days, we hiked around miles and miles and miles. We fished, we swam, we had an amazing time. And with these middle school students, we were feeding them all kinds of stuff on the trail. We were eating like beef jerky and granola, freeze-dried meals, you know, like all the good stuff. And if you've ever been out in the woods for that long, for five days, eating that kind of stuff, there's something that's kind of funny that happens every single time. You begin to kind of like commiserate together in your cravings. So you're like sitting around the fire being like, dude, I would do anything for a cheeseburger. I would pay any amount of money for one slice of pizza. Like I would, and we just sit around and talk about all the food that we don't have, but we wish we had. And we, we would get so hungry. And I remember after that trip in particular, five days in the woods, granola, jerky, freeze-dried meals. They got into the vehicle, and the first question was, where's the nearest Golden Corral? And we did it. We went right to Golden Corral, absolutely ravaged the place. There was nothing left. Golden Corral lost out that day with all these 12 middle school students. And because cravings can be convincing, when you start thinking about all the things that you really desire, the things that you really, really want, you start craving this stuff, it can be so convincing how important this is. This is what's taking place in this passage. Jesus has not eaten for 40 days, 40 nights. And the Bible says in verse three, the tempter shows up, Satan himself. And what's Satan's first temptation to Jesus? This is the first of three throughout this passage. Satan says to Jesus, if you really are the son of God, do what? Turn these stones into bread. If you really are the son of God, Jesus, then give into the craving that you have right now for some food, Turn these stones into bread. But what he's trying to do is he's wanting to trip Jesus up so Jesus fails too. It short circuits this plan of God that he's working through this person, Jesus. Because you gotta remember, this is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is the first thing that happens after his baptism. He's being tempted by the evil one. Here's what I would argue. It is in our weakest moments that our wisdom or our foolishness is revealed. It is in our weakest moments when we crave certain things so badly that either our wisdom or our foolishness is revealed. In this story, this is Jesus' weakest moment. 40 days, 40 nights, no food, and Satan knows if I tempt him with turning stones into bread, perhaps he will not trust God, but instead he will take care of it all on his own. 
and then he'll fail, and then I will win. I want you to think for a moment, the last time you maybe found yourself in a wilderness place, a difficult place where all of your comforts, all of your self-sufficiency was pulled away, Maybe it's a time in the past that you've experienced. Maybe it's this moment right now, you're right in the middle of it. And if you've never experienced a wilderness moment, you haven't lived long enough, just wait, it will come. And so maybe it's that time when you lost that job or where the, when the marriage fell apart or when that loved one passed away, when your sin found you out, when your friendship ended, when your anxiety became more than you could manage Maybe this wilderness place was something that you put yourself in. Maybe it's something that someone else did that put you there, or maybe this was something that God was doing. But you find yourself in this place, in this wilderness place, you feel exposed, helpless, confused, angry, bitter, vulnerable. When we are here, this is the perfect place that Satan would love to tempt us. Because he's crafty. He's had the same way of tempting all throughout history, And the reason he does it the same way over and over again is because it actually works. He knows what we crave, and he plays off those cravings. And here's the thing about our cravings. Almost always, there's something good. In and of themselves, they are a good thing. But the temptation often is to take that good thing and take it out of the right time, take it out of the right place, and take it out of the right people. Satan will use our cravings and he'll play on our impulse rather than our patience. He'll play on our urges rather than our restraint. So when this relationship begins to struggle, this marriage begins to struggle, there's no intimacy, there's no connection. So Satan knows this is a weak moment, so there's a temptation then with another person or a computer screen to give in to this craving. Maybe it's this ache of this loss that happened within your life and we buy into the lie that this substance could could make us feel better in the midst of this whole thing. It's a craving, and I'll do anything to have the pain soothed, so I'll give this a shot. And it's foolishness. Or maybe that person has wounded us so much that we mistakenly believe that if we enact revenge, then we'll finally get our way. If we enact revenge out of our bitterness, then we'll make sure they hurt the way we hurt. And the problem is that craving will never lead to healing. It'll only lead to more brokenness. Satan knows exactly what he's doing. He offers shortcuts, false promises, simple fixes to satisfy our cravings. And the problem is, it's always a lie. And that craving will never actually fulfill. And again, he plays off of good things. I would argue things God has given to us. Things like our sexuality, our appetites, our resources, our freedoms. And Satan says, listen, if you feel this way, if you pervert this just enough, if you mismanage this just enough, take it out of the right timing, the right location, the right place, or the right people, then you can take care of the problem and the struggle and the trial that you find yourself in. And it's always a lie. So Satan says to Jesus, turn these stones into bread. I know you're hungry. I know what you're craving. You see, any Jewish listener listening to this right then or reading this would have known, I know where this comes from. This sounds so familiar. So again, Jesus is acting out the Israelite people in the Exodus coming out of Egypt. So if you go all the way back to Exodus chapter 16, you pick up on a story that gives a lot of light to what's happening here within Jesus in Matthew chapter four. Exodus 16, verse two through three, the Israelites have just come out of Egypt and here's what it says. What's the first three words? In the 
desert. <laughs> in the beginning, yes, in Genesis, that's a good one. This one right here in Exodus, in the desert. Same location. It's wilderness. It's wild. It's outside of our comfort zones. In the desert, the whole community, all of Israel, grumbled and complained against Moses and against Aaron and ultimately against God. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out here into the desert to starve this entire assembly to what? Death. You've brought us out here to starve this entire assembly to death. So they're in the desert. They're grumbling and complaining against Moses, against Aaron, against God. They're starving. They can't find any food to eat. And what's so interesting about cravings, they are so powerful that here, they've been in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. They just got out. And the first thing that they're thinking about is, hey, maybe we should go back. Here's how strong cravings can be in our life if we're not careful. If we're looking for ways to make ourselves feel better rather than trusting God to provide, Here's how dangerous cravings can be. They can cause us to look at places that used to be painful and see them as paradise. Places that we know weren't good for us. Places we know that were painful for us. And we look at them now, we're like, hey, maybe we should go back there. Why? You were enslaved there. You were oppressed there. What makes you think you should go back? But out of desperation and a lack of trust for God, not believing that he'll provide, they believe if we just go back there, at least we had pots of meat to all sit around, but here we are in the desert and we're gonna starve to death. These are the kind of tricks the wilderness plays on us. But in both cases, both Jesus and the Israelite people, I would argue that the danger of the wilderness is the loss of identity. They've lost their identity. You see, the Israelite people, they wanna go back to Egypt, but they're not Egyptian, they're Jewish. They're not oppressed anymore. Now they're free, but they've lost out on who they actually are. So they're willing to give it all away for a temporary satisfaction. They've lost their identity. This is the temptation that Satan gives to Jesus. What's he say to him? I know you're hungry. It's been 40 days, 40 nights. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Why does Satan say that? You see, the chapter before, chapter three of Matthew, Jesus has just been baptized. He's raising out of the Jordan River. God bursts through the sky. If you remember this story, and God says, this is my son in who I am well pleased. So the first temptation is to believe that's not true. If you really are the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. Take care of the craving that you have right now, Jesus. The temptation is to lose his identity, who he is as the son and loved by God. My fear is that many of us here this morning, we have lost our identity as well. We have forgotten that we are sons and daughters of God. We have forgotten that we are loved beyond measure by Jesus himself. We have forgotten who we are. When we forget who we are, that we don't live from that place anymore. We have no confidence in that anymore. And so we're easily picked off. We are easily given cravings that we give into and we short circuit God's plan for our life. But when we know who we are, we don't need to prove a thing. And when we know whose we are, we don't need to have control. We have forgotten who we are and whose we are. Years ago, 
champion United States diver Greg Louganis was asked how he coped with the stress of international competition. Such a difficult thing to do. So he replied by saying that when I'm competing, I climb up onto the board, I get into place, I take a deep breath, I close my eyes and I think to myself, even if I fail on this dive, my mother will still love me. Even if I fail at this dive, my mother will still love me. He said, it's only after I do that that I'm able to compete at the highest level. There's a confidence that I get knowing that even if I mess this dive up, I'm still loved by my mom. I wonder what would happen to us as followers of Jesus if we lived our daily life in the same kind of manner. Even if I screw up today, I'm still loved by my father. Even if I mess up today, even as an eighth grade kid, if I don't do it right every single day, I'm still loved by God. Beyond measure, more like I possibly think or imagine, I'm loved by him. I would argue there'd be such confidence oozing from us that Satan could throw any craving, any temptation, any desire to us. We say, no, no, no. I know that, it, that if I take that, it might, it might soothe my stomach, but it'll never fulfill my soul. Because only the love of God can do that. There would be such a confidence that would come from us that we would never give in to any of these cravings, any of these tricks, because we know that even if we mess up, we are still loved by our Father. What if we could live there as followers of Jesus? We don't have to give in to the temptations or the cravings placed in front of us because we know that, that it will never truly fulfill us. Here's what I would say. We need to get to the place where we live from the love of God and not for the love of God. It's already ours. Where we live from the provision of God and not for the provision of God. It's already been given to us. It's already yours. So Jesus, here's the temptation from Satan. He responds in the same manner for all three temptations. I won't spoil it. We'll get to it later on. But this place that he responds, he responds by quoting Old Testament scripture. I want you to notice this. Each time the evil one comes with lies, what Jesus does, he brings in the truth. He brings in the truth. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter four, verse four. Jesus answered Satan in his temptation by saying, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus says, I know what you're doing. I know you're tempting me with a temporary fix like this quick thing that I could have, and if I, if I had it, it'd make me feel better. But I know that it might fill my stomach, but it'll never fill my soul. I know that we don't live on, on bread alone. We live from every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is what is true. So Satan, throw your lies, but we'll never buy it. So here's the truth this morning. You don't need another boyfriend. You need Jesus. Like, you don't need to buy another thing online that's craving to do so. You need Jesus. You don't need more followers on social media. You need Jesus. You don't need another drink. You need Jesus. All these other things are temptations. It's an adventure in missing the point. And instead, we see Jesus as the true fix, the true fulfilling that we desire. Author Lisa Turkhurst said it this way. God made us to crave, to eagerly desire, want greatly and long for him, but Satan wants to do everything possible to replace our craving for God with something else, something else. It's mismanaged cravings. 
So my family, my, as my boys have gotten older, we've, we've discovered this phenomenon in our household. You probably have experienced it. If you have a middle school boy in the room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So my kids come home from school now, and there's this thing that's taking place where they go directly to the pantry, and they open the door, and they just stare. And they find anything that looks edible, and then they eat it. And they leave for five minutes, and then they come back to the pantry, and they open it again all the way until dinner. Like, we have no money anymore because we've spent it all on food to feed these children. And it's interesting. We'll say to them, like, listen, you don't need that right now. Okay, dinner's coming. I promise you we're going to feed you. And they just keep going back and back for these things. Another granola bar, maybe a zebra cake. That'd be nice. And they just keep going to this thing. And what's so interesting is we get to dinner, like the good stuff, the stuff we've prepared, the stuff we've worked hard on. And they're like, no, I'm not that hungry. Like, I bet you're not that hungry because you just ate every zebra cake that's in the house. You've been snacking from the pantry for so long, you don't have any hunger for any of the good things. Like, what would happen if we would recognize that as Christians, for many of us, we have been snacking in the pantry for so long, these cravings that come up that we think will fulfill us, and so we'll go there, we'll do this thing, we'll buy that stuff, we'll give ourselves to this person, we'll, we'll do this, we'll do that. And then in the end, here's what happens, and this is why it's so dangerous. This is why the wisdom in the wilderness here has to be learned. Because if we're not careful, we will be so full of lesser things that we'll have no hunger for the greatest thing. We'll be so full with all the other stuff that we won't recognize that God is the one who we're actually longing for. That's our actual desire. We get it mixed up with this relationship, with fooling around with this person, with buying this stuff, with having this house, with having this car, with all these things, and we fill ourselves so full, we never feel the hunger for God. This is what Lent is all about. We don't just say no to chocolate and coffee because it sounds fun. We do it so that every time we feel that hunger, we would recognize that's not what I really want. What I really want is God. That's what I'm really desiring. And the problem is Satan tries these tricks with these cravings, and we give in to it far too often. We have to learn what it looks like to be resilient and have an unrelenting trust for God, his timing, his provision, and his plan. So the Israelites are grumbling and complaining, we're gonna starve out here. We should have gone back to Egypt. At least we had pots of meat there. Here's how God responds to their complaining over, he's so gracious. Aren't you glad? Every time we grumble and complain, God, you don't get it, you don't know and he's so gracious. Here's what it says in Exodus 16. Here's how God responds to their grumbling and complaining. Then the Lord said to Moses, all the food that you wanted, but you've brought us in the desert. Sorry, the next verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you, something called manna. The people are to go out each day and gather enough food for what? That day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. God says, here's what I'm gonna do, Moses. I know the people are hungry. I know there's a temptation to go back to this place because of the cravings. I'm gonna provide food for you. It's gonna fall out of heaven. It's called manna. It's not super great, but I'll provide a lot of it. But here's what happens. Every day, the Israelites should go out. They should gather just enough for what? That day. In fact, we find out in other places that if anybody gathered more than just that day, it would spoil and it would rot by the next morning. Here's what God was doing. The Bible says God was testing them. You see, Satan, he tries to tempt us, but God tests us. He wanted to test them to see if they would trust him to provide for them each and every day. He gave us something to eat today. We were faithful today, God. 
I can trust you'll be faithful tomorrow. You provided what I need today, God. I'll trust you to provide tomorrow. And even though my cravings would have you believe there's more that you're holding out on me, there's something else I should do it on my own, instead I'm gonna choose to see that you will provide for me. We pray it every Sunday that we're in this room. In the Lord's Prayer, part of what we pray is we say this, and give us this day our daily bread. Help us trust you, God. Help us trust that you are the great provider who knows what we need better than ourselves and give us today what we need for today. The book of Proverbs actually says these exact words in Proverbs chapter 30, verse eight and nine. Here's what it says. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and the name of my God. Here's what the author is saying. God, would you provide enough for me for today? Because if you give me too much, I might be tempted to believe that I don't need you anymore. If you give me too much, I might be convinced that I can do this on my own. But also don't give me too little, because if I have too little, then I might be tempted to want to steal and take care of this all on my own, to give into my cravings. So God, would you give me just enough today, my daily bread. Would you help me trust you and believe that you'll provide for me? Here's the key. Having enough keeps me in right relationship with God. But being in right relationship with God helps me see that I have enough. Having enough keeps me in right relationship with God and being in right relationship with God helps me see that I have enough. In the end, what Jesus teaches us here in the wilderness, I would argue, is the, the foundation of authentic Christian faith. It's believing that God will provide for us, that he knows what's best for us, that he understand how, understands how the world works, and that tomorrow he will be there as well. There's a story that after Allied forces, after World War II, they began to find homeless and hungry children. And they would take these children, they would put them into camps, and they would provide for them, they would feed them, and they would make sure they're well-fed and taken care of. But there was a problem because these children that were in these camps, they were, they were taken care of with every physical need, but at nighttime, they had trouble sleeping. And you would too, after you had gone through all that they'd gone through. So every night, they would have trouble staying asleep and getting good rest. And so finally, there was a psychologist that said, okay, we're gonna try something different here. So what they did was they took a slice of bread and they gave it to each and every child. When those children would go to sleep at night, they were instructed, this is not to be eaten, this is meant to be held and kept. And suddenly, all these kids began to sleep all throughout the night, and they would get rest. And here's why. Subconsciously, they began to believe. They had this feeling that there would always be something to eat tomorrow, that they had been provided for. They didn't have to worry. And I think there's a reason within the scriptures, Jesus is called the bread of life. He sustains us. He nourishes us. He gives us all that we need. These cravings that the evil one brings to us, listen, just do it on your own. Don't trust him. He's not gonna provide. Do it yourself. It's always a lie and it's always painful. So this morning I wanna pray for you. Would you join me as we pray together? God, we come before you right now 
And I just wanna confess, God, that too often I am someone who believes that I have to take care of myself, provide for myself. And when things get particularly difficult, when I find myself in the wilderness, too often that's the hardest place where I feel like I've just gotta do it on my own. So God, forgive us for not trusting that you'll provide, that you know what's best. And if you've been faithful today, you'll be faithful tomorrow. Help us to learn this wisdom in the wilderness. Help us to know that when the lies come, we can believe the truth of your word, that you love us, you care for us. We are your sons and we are your daughters. We love you, God. And it's in your name that we pray. And everyone said, amen.